Welcome to the Profaned Ordained Podcast. I'm Liz. And I'm Michael. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Profaned Ordained Podcast. Liz, it's good to be back. It is good to be back. It's been a little while. Let's just normalize how long it's been. How long has it been? It's been like weeks. Well, like, you know, the election and a blur happened in between, so I don't think it, anyone can yeah. really blame us. I, fi- I actually feel like I canceled everything like the week before no, and like I, the few weeks too. after yeah. the election. <laughs> For that very purpose. I mean, is <laughs> it is it? It's not even over yet. I mean, right? It's according to some. So <laughs> let us move on. Yeah, it's good. It's good to be back creating with you, babe. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to this episode and what we're gonna what we're gonna talk about. We did mention that we were going to start off with a kind of a fun beginning mm-hmm. here. Yeah. Well, we talked about a, a number of things right before you hit record. Yeah. Such as. How hard it is to talk uh, to a microphone? No, after not, not doing that. It, it was okay. about Xena Warrior Princess and how that woman then became Ron Swanson's girlfriend on Parks and Rec, and That's how crazy right. that was, and then how I was watching Highlander at the same time. Well, you brought up Highlander, and I thought I remember seeing commercials for Highlander, but I watched Xena Warrior Princess, you know, because of the fight scenes <laughs> I'm and sure. the strong female presence. <laughs> I'm sure that was it. Um, that... Anyways, so you're getting to the question. Yeah, so I want to hear what is the grossest thing you've seen lately. Okay, so this is this stands apart from I I cannot express to you how gross, how gross. Bean was in the backseat of the car two days ago, and she started talking about an octopus beak. Yeah, yeah. We were just driving. We were just driving, and I had to then Google it, and then I threw up in my mouth a little bit, and now I can't unsee it. And then she'll just say it to make me feel icky inside, and then I can't feel my limbs. Yeah. So if you haven't Googled octopus beak or octopus beak wound, oh. that was the next thing I Googled. <laughs> like a, a, a human? A wound. Yes, a human wound from an octopus beak. I just thought it's you so would... so gross. I just thought octopies would suction you and, and leave like a hickey, but you're saying it's more of like a beak wound, like a parrot, <laughs> like a toucan Sam <laughs> underneath the... Underneath the skirt of the of the um, Michael, let me it? ask you a question. Are you familiar with the term butt pucker? <laughs> butt pucker. Because that's what I feel. Yeah. When I hear the word octopus beak. Yeah. Well, it makes me. I, my arms also go limp. Uh, they go weak, and it feels like all the blood rushes to my chest to protect my heart. That's kind of where I go. It's but. pretty gross. Anyway, so everyone's Googling it now. So what is the grossest thing you've seen? The lately? grossest thing I've seen was the other day I was sitting there on the couch uh, watching football as I do every single day since <laughs> eternity, um, eating chocolate-covered peanuts when our son David walks in the room <laughs> and has what appears to be his uh, own chocolate-covered peanuts that he's carrying in his hand, um, all to find out that he had actually put his fingers in his poop <laughs> diaper and was walking around with it. And it was a real existential moment because I, I, in that moment I thought, did he get into my peanuts when I wasn't looking? He, it's so and they cute. just melted in his hand? No. Nope. But he walked out so innocently and he, he held it up in the air yeah. and he said, I have something on my hand. Yeah, it and was. I was like, that can't be poop because he said it so, yeah. it was normal. It was very normal. It was very sweet. We, we didn't overreact. I thought we did a real awesome job there. But it was under his nails. I mean, it, that wasn't coming out without water and, and the spirit. 
which we'll get into <laughs> later. Um, Water in the spirit. Yeah, so that was the grossest thing, and I had to clean it out. I mean, we had to put him in the bath. I mean, there's been a lot of gross things lately. Yeah. Like the time David was in the bathtub today and curb stomped him himself oh, on yeah. the side of the bathtub. Yeah. <laughs> he has a bruise <laughs> on his face. Yeah, he has... It, what's, it, what's that show where the guy does that? Uh, is it... Um, I can't remember. Anyway, yes, he like leaned on the edge oh, and just smacked his face on the on the edge of the tub. So lots of gross things. Yes. Well, here we are. Here we are. Um, so we're we're gonna. I'm introing a new series uh, in, in this episode, and uh, the series is going to be called uh, the Shadow Series. And in this series, we're going to really just kind of maybe start with scripture as our um, launching pad into uh, a deeper dive into the shadow and understanding how scripture actually can become something that reflects back to us what is in us that maybe we're not aware of that we hide, repress, or deny, Mm -hmm. Um, and and really starting to read scripture maybe a little differently, but not just scripture, but our entire world, how we relate to others, how we relate to God, how we relate to ourselves. So Mm -hmm. this first episode is called Shadow Series Hermeneutic of the Shadow. Highlander edition. Highlander edition. (laughs) Xena Warrior Princess edition. (laughs) Yes. Which I bet there's a lot of shadow imagery in those shows. That's a really good excuse to go back and watch a lot of Xena. Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see. Anyway... So, so this is great because you are studying this. So I'll own the fact that I, I mean, you love technical terms and getting into definitions and understanding. I mean, one of your strengths is context. So yeah. you're going to look at the bigger picture. I'm like. I'm like Toby when Nellie <laughs> asked him about the uh, time he was on the jury for the Scranton Strangler. Yes. She's like, uh, says, I've never heard this story he's like, oh, where do I start? He's like, I guess I'll start all the way from the beginning, beginning. I guess. Yeah, that's you. That's how I feel anytime I talk about anything. I want to zoom yeah. up to like 80,000 feet and look at the whole picture. So when it comes to shadow, yeah. I mean, this is newer stuff, I guess, in the last couple of years for me. But you've been doing a significant deep dive. Yeah. Our library has expanded significantly since you've been in this doctoral I'm program. a little bit of a hoarder of books. i got my corner office in the playroom. Yep. And book order. Yes. Yes. But I'm excited to jump into this. I think one of the things that you bring to the table and not to, gosh, foreplay in front of God and everybody, but (laughs) I think as a spiritual director, you come to the table with a lot of insight and what you oftentimes, I feel like what you're doing in spiritual direction is getting at the shadow. So in this podcast for me, I'm like, man, this is for free, right? Like there's a sense of like being able to, um, have a conversation about some of the themes that you see popping out, um, talking about where we see this in scripture. I think that's, that's pretty great. And I think that it's best to maybe start with a passage that is somewhat familiar yeah, that's great. to all of us. I would say most of us listening um, uh, in John 3. Let's do it. Okay, so I'm going to read this passage. And um, as I do, uh, just allow some of the images to start settling in your mind. Um, We're not going to get through the whole passage in this episode, um, but it will be kind of a starting point, a launch pad for us. So uh, we will read the text. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. 
he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are already old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. So, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So, um, the first thing I really want to bring into this episode is in the title. It's the title track. Okay. <laughs> um, and it is this hermeneutic of the shadow. So, I want to define hermeneutic briefly. So, you may be familiar, but a hermeneutic is essentially a method or theory of interpretation. It's it's the lens through which you look at something, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it has to do with, and you hear this word hermeneutic in seminary. Um, if you go to seminary, you've been to seminary, you've heard this word. But it really is something that can be applied to anything, right? We have a hermeneutic on how we look at politics. We have a hermeneutic on how we understand climate change, mm-hmm. right? Or, 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 or social justice. Um, but with in this sense, when we're reading scripture, a hermeneutic is our method or theory of interpretation. And then shadow, uh, really the shorthand definition for that is being anything, anything or part of us that we have hidden, repressed, or denied. Mm-hmm. So a hermeneutic of the shadow allows us to look at the text in such a way that um, we are seeing it um, able to reflect back to us maybe what is in us that maybe we're unaware of, Hmm. that we don't want to be aware of, that maybe is too painful to be aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, and that hermeneutic of the shadow allows us, here's the big thing. Um, a hermeneutic of the shadow keeps us from reading scripture as a way to confirm our bias hmm. about ourselves mm-hmm. or about God mm-hmm. or about others. A hermeneutic of the shadow actually allows us to enter scripture looking for what we don't want to see. Sure. Right? And so in this story of Nicodemus, that hermeneutic allows us to put ourselves in, in a place of Nicodemus um, in particular that may actually reveal to us some deeper truth about who we are, where we're at in our life, um, that, you know, what typically is focused on in this verse is the whole concept of born again, right? And it becomes, <laughs> yes. a, confer- it becomes a, te- a text around confirm- confirming what we think about ourselves, that we're born again, right? That's how, yeah. you know, very conservative streams... This text it. doesn't apply to me. I prayed the prayer. Yes, That's exactly. Really yeah, Nicodemus. <laughs> I remember when I was there. <laughs> He's got a long way to go. <laughs> so, I mean, essentially, you're talking about um, the flip side, right? Like flipping things upside down. There's a sense of, I don't know, maybe that's not the right metaphor. Yeah. No, it, it, it certainly it certainly is flipping flipping the text um, on its head. And, and here's here's how you maybe do this, right? It's, it's all well and good to say, uh, I have a hermeneutic of the shadow. Um, is well, that what you say? Well, it's not, 
uh, I say it here <laughs> um, in front of you. Mm -hmm. But no, I, I would, you have to have a way to do that, right? And, um, and so this concept of archetypes mm. comes into the frame. Yeah. So I, I believe I've mentioned this a number of times. So archetypes, um, originally there's this man, Adolf Bastian, uh, who came up with this idea of elementary ideas or elemental ideas. Um, and essentially they are the grounding universals of all humanity. Hmm. Well, Jung took that and, and developed this, this uh, philosophy or whatever of, of archetypes. Hmm. And so archetypes are things that are universal. Um, we see these archetypes play out in popular culture with Star Wars, Lord mm -hmm. of the Rings, Harry Potter. I mean, all of these epic yeah. journeys that's a good word the, for the it archetypes of the hero the archetype of the villain of the sage mm -hmm. of the the trickster or the um the magician right and these are actual archetypes but they're they're, they're represented in these stories and they represent in our lives they're represented in scripture they're there mm -hmm. um and so really and maybe we can just dive into this the first um uh maybe well let, we'll save that we'll save getting into that. Here's what I want us to pick up about this, right? Okay. A hermeneutic of the shadow allows us to look for archetypal images. Mm. If we're looking if if we're looking for archetypal images of the sage or in in this case maybe the initiator, Jesus the one who initiates us into life, mm -hmm. who is maybe our midwife of mm. the uh, of new life, right? Oh, I like that. Say, yeah. Mhm. Mm Okay. All right. Also, I got more of it. Um, and um, and what what reading the text this way helps us do is it moves scripture scripture from being a microscope into being a mirror. Hmm. Um, instead of scripture being this thing that suddenly trying to search out all of our um, higher moral failures, mm -hmm. um, or our, or maybe confirm our highest moral uh, feats. Mm -hmm. um, what it does is it becomes this mirror that helps us see ourselves um, as we are. Yeah. It helps us, you know, as mirrors do. We can see what is behind us mm -hmm. um, in our shadow. And Robert Bly talks about this: the long bag we drag right behind, behind us. us right. Yep. Um, that's what scripture ends up doing because we start to see these archetypal images that resonate with what it truly means to be human. Mm -hmm. And now we are connecting with what it truly means to be human instead of cloaking it with spirituality and language. Okay, so religion. let me ask you a question. Yep. How do you know when you have found an archetypal image? Um, like would an, an example be helpful at this point? Or what, what is the sense that you get? What's the sense of knowing that you get when you, you're, you're like, okay, that's it? there's an archetypal image I'm, I'm working with here. Yeah. Well, I think, well, okay. You, I think that you know you've encountered an archetypal image when you feel something shift inside of you. Mm -hmm. Now, to be honest, I think this take, this can take some practice. Mm -hmm. I don't think it happens just in, in, I don't think it happens just in scripture. First of all, sure. We encounter these archetypes. I mean, oh, probably man. most often in our regular lives, mm -hmm. right? The archetype of the benevolent, um, you know, giver or this like, benevolent elder yeah. or the archetype of the innocent child mm -hmm. um, something that stirs us it like shoots um, uh, life into us and we're like ooh, there's something there or or maybe we encounter an archetypal image that like ooh, I don't want to I don't want to go there mm -hmm. right something that um, resonates with this universal humanity yeah 
works. No, oh, I appreciate yeah. that you have you've named at least a half dozen. Is this yeah? Is this helpful? No, it's is good. It? Okay. So my question is, how many archetypes are there? Well, there's it, there's not a there's not a number. It's not right? a science. So like you know you you pick up a book on archetypal things. If it's purely Jungian, it's gonna have um, it's gonna have four mm-hmm. um, primary archetypes: king, warrior, magician, lover. Um, but those serve as kind of like the, a compass, like north, south, east, and west. Mm-hmm. Even they're even charted on the on on that spectrum. Is it, was it Pearson's book, The Hero yeah. Within? I, I read that and I was like, so I'm working with like 36. Yeah. And then I took a test and it really threw me off. Yeah, it was so it was so. Uh, I was it was, buried under. I was like, <laughs> I, I don't. So know. I I am the orphan on a warrior's journey. Like, I don't know what's happening. You're like Jan when she's telling a story that she's the queen and the princess. <laughs> that, yes, that's how I felt. <laughs> So you understand. So let me like go back to the text. Yeah. Why? Okay. How does archetype apply to what you just read? Yeah. So I would say our, the first archetypal image that we encounter is found in Nicodemus. Mm. Right. We read at the very beginning. It says, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Mm. So he's a Pharisee. We don't know all the ins and outs of what a Pharisee is. But we know that they're important. We know that they're religiously important. Um, we know that there's like this political element too. Sure. He's on the Jewish ruling council. He's on a council. Okay, I don't know. I'm not on a council. I think we, we, we can see here very quickly if we just kind of let ourselves focus on that one introduction. And we have this archetypal image of Nicodemus. And, and I think that he, rep- he can represent a number of various archetypes. Hmm. Um, he rep- he represents this archetype of a highly religious, the highly religious, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the pious. Yeah. Um, I think that maybe what is helpful for what we're talking about here is he represents the archetype of the ego. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jung's... And by ego, you mean? Yeah. Well, so <laughs> that's a loaded question. It's a loaded question. Um, we drove to all the way to IKEA yesterday trying to unpack this. Yeah. So. <laughs> I mean, Jung himself didn't create an airtight definition mm-hmm. of ego. Um, he, he adopted it from Freud's work, and Jung took it and uh, developed it further. Essentially, from what I can tell, uh, Jung understood the ego to be the center of the field of consciousness. So our ego is, um, it, it, it kind of is almost like... Um, well, I'll save this metaphor, but it is what we know about ourselves. It is what we think about ourselves. It is what we feel about ourselves. Mm-hmm. Ego, the Latin translation, I mean, the English translation is I, right? Mm-hmm. It is this, um, the subject, right? It is the, the part of us that um, is kind of front-facing, sure. right? Yeah. And the ego allows whatever is most important to really shift into being the front and center piece, right? And so we live primarily in our ego when we are interacting at our work, um, you know, the doctor's office, like all of these areas are very egocentric. Um, and not necessarily a bad thing. Not a bad thing. It's not a good thing either. It's just neutral. Mm-hmm. Like um, here's the big thing you need to know about the ego is that the ego really determines what gets seen and what doesn't get seen. Mm-hmm. What gets cast into the shadow. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so healthy... Does the, does the ego consciously cast things into the shadow? Um, you know what I'm saying? Like if, if the ego's like, that's uncomfortable, that's out. 
Yeah, well, I think the ego kind of sits in, um, it's like a buoy. Hmm. It sits on the surface of the water, hmm. um, and but just slightly enough under. Hmm. And the surface of the water is like, con- you know, above water is consciousness and below water is unconscious. Hmm. Ego kind of sits like a buoy. And, um, and it, it's mostly conscious. Uh, it's most conscious, like it's mostly consciousness, but it, it kind of, it, it dabbles down here. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it, it really is the, the separator, the, the thing that kind of delineates between what gets seen and what doesn't get seen. And so, yeah, what, um, when we have these parts of ourselves that we, you know, we, meaning the ego wants to hide, repress and deny because it's not safe mm-hmm. because it's not acceptable. Could be collective ego. Yeah, yeah, we get into like more collective struck like cultural mm-hmm. uh, shadow, right? Um, and cultural ego narratives, things like that. But individually, the ego is meant to kind of like push things down or right bring things up that are beneficial um, mm-hmm. for the moment or not beneficial. They'll put it they'll put it in the shadow. So, so Nicodemus. Yeah, he's a ruling. He's part of the ruling council. Yeah, and. Um, and I think, okay, so here's, here's what I would say. Like, if we're going to have hermeneutic of the shadow, like we need to have a practice, right? It can't just be, oh, that's really interesting. <laughs> um, there is this practice of just noticing. Mm. I mean, I don't know, Liz, you've, you've heard people say many times, like, oh, I read the Bible all the way through this year. Mm. Like, this has been a goal. I mean, talk about, talk about, I want to hear a little bit maybe from you about, how you've seen ego show up in how people measure their spirituality. Like what's the front facing way that you see people kind of like posture themselves? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think we could talk about the church in the East versus the church in the West. So I'll speak from my perspective. There's definitely a, a production productive orientation that it's and it's the same thing pastors get asked every year how many souls did you save how many baptisms did you you know in the last year how many people did you baptize um how many people are coming to your church i mean we do the same thing mm-hmm. with scripture so it's not just like people consuming scripture in quantity mm-hmm. i think there's something to be said about that because i think sometimes by osmosis stuff just gets inside of sure, you sure. which has been helpful for me um, but I think there's, yeah, that sense of ego, sense of um, having achieved something. Mm-hmm. But when you don't flip it over, you don't really invite scripture to mm-hmm. get get at the parts of you that you don't want it to get at, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's probably what you're, yeah. you're getting at. Yeah, well, I, um, the ego doesn't really want to be seen mm-hmm. um, in terms of like, hi, I'm the ego. Um, what I'm telling you is actually just like part of the truth, mm-hmm. right? That's not the ego wants to kind of hide behind what it is presenting in a way that like makes it seem as though like this is who we are, yeah. right? Like a little bit of what we do with podcasting is it, it, there, there's ego formation or substantiation happening, right? Sure. Everyone listening thinks that our marriage is awesome and that we never fight. <laughs> and when we do, it's funny, right? Like... <laughs> Um, and we have we have really gross stories, but like, here's what what ego doesn't want anyone to know is that I yelled at Bina today mm-hmm. when she bit her brother on the calf, and that bite marks. when mm-hmm. I came to her to try to tell her, hey, you know, this isn't okay, she flinched because mm-hmm. she was a little bit scared of me. See, ego 
hmm. doesn't want that to be seen, right? Because that's not acceptable. Yeah. Like there's something risky there. Yeah. And so when we're reading a text like this, Nicodemus and Jesus, and we see this archetypal image of hmm. the pious one. The pious one who comes by night. Yeah. Well, let's get, we'll get to that in a second. But like being aware, yeah. being aware, that's not other than me. Mm-hmm. There's something in me mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. is is that. and that's yes. the mirror versus the microscope, right? We're not going to we're not going to critique ourselves because we're like Nicodemus, nor are we going to critique critique Nic- Nicodemus because he's not on level ten. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to let it be a mirror and yeah. let it reflect back. Anyway, you were also saying about that night. I mean, that's what strikes me about this passage mm. in terms of its archetypal nature. Yeah, it comes by night. There's like this, um, I resonate with that energy around like, I don't want anyone to know that I'm here, but Mm. I needed to come see you, Mm. right? There's like a, though he is, you know, has this social currency and power, he's coming to Jesus by night. Like I resonate with that. Yeah. Like needing, needing help, needing to access something other than what I have. Yeah. What do you, like when you think about that? image like is there more that comes to mind when you think about nicodemus moving because that something was jogged in my mind i'd like to hear what your that was a really beautiful connection actually i haven't thought about this like what can you say more no what are you thinking okay, okay I, I can see it in your eyes we have a rule where i'm not supposed to say can you say more because oh not, i hate that so hate, much okay. because as an enneagram a i always say exactly what you wanted to say <laughs> and you're not going to say anything I am else not hedging <laughs> anyways I'm projecting. I always have more to say. I'm not going to say anything. That <laughs> That's I, great. Uh, I would love to hear more. Okay. Well, so Jesus, this Christ figure, this incarnation, from a Jungian standpoint, always represents self. Mm-hmm. Right? We can talk about big S self, um, you know, the divine, mm-hmm. but also representing at the same time self, like our self. So the Jungian self is all of us, right? It's all that we are. It includes ego. It in, includes consciousness and unconsciousness, right? Mm-hmm. All that we've, like if, if um, you know, above water is conscious and below water is unconscious, the self is all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes it is, it lives most of the way unconsciously, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you, when you said that, it, it hit me that Nicodemus is actually I was focusing so much on the night because the night is this archetypal image of shadow, mm. right? But um, but here we have Jesus, uh, self, um, representing right, representing self, and so ego is is allowing itself to descend into mm-hmm. and connect, right? And and so this is the work, like a hermeneutic of the shadow, allows us to see here that you have this that you know. This ego presentation, you could even say persona, right? Like Mm -hmm. something that's even more disconnected from who we are, but is something that we've created in order to be a shield or mask. Mm -hmm. You may have it that extent, that that far, you know, with Nicodemus, is descending and then into the shadow. There's this descent into the shadow to connect with the unconscious. Mm. And, And what does he ask, right? He doesn't really ask. I think it's funny because Nicodemus... Uh, does this thing where he's like, we know, he's like, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher and that you are from God because no one could do. Mm-hmm. It's an ego uh, um, statement, statement, mm-hmm. introduction. Like, 
He's trying to connect with self with ego, with yeah. an ego narrative. Mm -hmm. And Jesus looks right past the statement and answers the question that's underneath. Yeah. Which is, no one can see the kingdom unless they're born again. Mm -hmm. hmm. There's a beautiful interaction that's happening there. I think, like it's an it's an image of what we like an, an individually happens hmm. and, and must happen. Right? There's this descent into the shadow to connect with self, which knows how to connect with God, which is the Imago Day, mm -hmm. and can guide us into what we need to do next, which is to be born again. Hmm. Yeah. Do you want to get into born again? Do you think we have some time here? Hmm. <laughs> I think we do. All right. Well, you, are you tired? I'm not tired. Okay. Do I look you look a little tired. It's I don't just, know. I can't tell. My arms are crossed. My seat's a little uncomfortable. Okay. Well, what are we doing? You want to get into it? Let's get into it. Okay. Ask me a question. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> ask me a question. Well, I was honestly, when I come to this text, yeah. I dismiss it as one of the weird sayings that jesus says to magician everybody mm. you know it's like yeah you have confused everyone here and this is not buying you points with the people mm -hmm. you know like this is just what jesus does so and i think the born again language first as a mother i catch on birth language mm -hmm. always mm -hmm. it's like when you talk about jesus being midwife i'm like yeah i like that yeah. right as a woman I like that born again language, but I come to the text and I think, I think this means something that I do not think that it means, mm, you know, like yeah. our preconceived, what we've been taught, you fill in the blank, you know? Yeah. So I have questions mm. when it comes to this text. Does it make you think of an octopus beak? <laughs> A little bit. I mean, no. Oh. Okay. That's too far. <laughs> You've done this. <laughs> it, I hadn't thought about the octopus beak until we talk, started talking about, well, when Nicodemus says, can I re-enter my mother's womb a second time? Anyway, Why? okay, that's too far. Okay, oh I'm sorry. That's that's a bad image. Okay. Um, so, so you have questions like, do they? What does it mean, Michael, to be born again? Well, I mean, birth, <clears throat> birth is rebirth is an archetypal image. Mm -hmm. It's it's found in all rites of initiation or rites of passage in human history. Yeah. Unfortunately, it has been co so co-opted by the evangelical stream. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say maybe even fundamentalist Christianity that uh, it's not something that I ever use. I mean, I wouldn't say I, I, I maybe said I was born again when I was like in eighth grade. <laughs> maybe. Uh, maybe. And like, even then I, but it, it is a political statement now. Like, it's not really spiritual. Yeah, sure. It's political. Well, if I were answering that question, I don't think I'd say born again. I think I would say reborn. Mm -hmm. If you asked me, when were you reborn? Mm -hmm. I would probably talk to you about the fortunate experience I had of engaging suffering in my life. Mm -hmm. Because it was at that time that I felt reborn. Yeah. And I have been reborn again and again yeah. since that time. Right. So that's how I think of what it means to be born again, mm -hmm. what it means to be rebirthed, yeah. like whatever language we have to use to strip it of all the things that are kind of, I don't know, connotating yeah. that phrase. That's how I think of when was I initiated? Yeah. How did I get there? Because yeah. I think I tie that to, 
I'm not super sure that a person could be spiritually formed if they haven't experienced suffering. I'll just name that because yeah. I don't know how somebody engages a rebirth mm-hmm. process without a, yeah. a birth canal. Yeah. Yeah. Ronald Rollheiser uh, talks about a birth with no pregnancy. Mm. And I would say that would typify a lot of evangelical Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, this this sense that to be born again is almost to be pulled out of the womb. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, that's kind of how I feel the, the term is used. Like, I'm born again, therefore I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have any fear, cares. I don't have anger. I don't have all these things, right? To be it's stripped of transformation. It's stripped of transformation. It's stripped of the humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, but like when Jesus is talking about this, like first of all, like you said, it's not a one and done thing. Mm-hmm. This is a process. This is a way of being. It's what Jesus means uh, when he says, "Take up your cross daily." Mm-hmm. I mean. I think it's arguable that what Jesus's life is in its entirety from start to finish is a process of in, uh, initiation mm. of reentering the womb. I mean, here it is. God is reentering the womb, mm. being born again, right? Yeah. God is being born again into humanity. And there are, you could say multiple moments, right? We have the image of baptism, which is a death rebirth Mm -hmm. we have the 40 days in the wilderness Mm -hmm. um we have uh his you know throughout his ministry but then we have this death and rebirth again at the end of his life right yeah and so and this is like we're getting down the road we'll probably want to wrap this up and leave a lot for the next episode yeah i'm thinking about a bunch of stuff like jonah and the whale yeah i mean the images are it's everywhere i mean and i think that all of scripture is this Mm -hmm. really but um and really, I think what we see with Nicodemus and Jesus is very, I would say, maybe it, maybe the beginning. Like, Jesus's ministry gets defined by John 3.16. Mm-hmm. Like, and maybe for more progressive Christians, it gets defined by Luke 4, which is this, like, I've come to set free those who are oppressed, pro- proclaim um, release of the captives, mm-hmm. recovery of sight to the blind. Like, I think, yes to both of those. Mm-hmm. And... This concept of being reborn, uh, to me, encapsulates that. Mm. Um, the rebirth is, is transformation. It's how we are transformed. And Jesus doesn't give a, a very clear image. But he, but he does say to Nicodemus, you can't see. You won't be able to see it unless this happens to you. Mm. And that rebirth requires, um, it requires um, death. Mm-hmm. It requires a prolonged season of transformation, it's a process, a process, and it requires rebirth, which also is a bit of a process. It's not a you know a sudden thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I will maybe leave it there. Yeah, and good. pick up um, uh, in the next episode. So, thank you for joining us. Uh, feel free to share this um, on any platform, social media platform you're on, and we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Take care. Peace, y'all. Thanks for listening to the Profaned Ordained Podcast. You can find us at innerworkcommunity.com. Catch you next time.